You're listening to The RC, your guide to digital cinema, filmmaking, and cutting-edge imaging. Hi, and welcome to this week's RC podcast covering digital cinematography. This week, we will be covering an update of what's happening with RED as I've spoken to Ted Trulowitz. This was recorded last week in Los Angeles. And Jason, another special interview? Yes, Mark Toyer, director, cinematographer, on the road, shooting with a uh, dragon in his hands. An actual dragon in the field. Yes, all this and more here on this week's uh, FX Guide RC podcast, where we see our role as to mine the news, filter blogs, and of course, go down some serious rat holes with... Uh, trying to bring you up to date with what's happening in all the tech that we're obsessing about, discussing, uh, arguing about, and trying to work out. And of course, as you just heard, uh, Jason is here in the studio. Jason, Hello. we're both back in the country. I've been um, in the US. You've been uh, around the world a couple of times, I think, since uh, I no, last Just the once, yes, but that was good. How are you? I'm excellent, thank you. Good to be back home. It's, uh, yeah, it's bloody cold here. It is bloody cold, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it was hot where I was as well. I was going on water rafting rides at Disneyland and it was uh-huh. Unimaginable. Hey, so this big exciting news, um, I caught up with Ted actually at SIDGRAPH. He wasn't there in any capacity but to um, see what was going on in the graphics community. And uh, we walked around the show floor and did some stuff. And I did this interview with him, um, which was all recorded prior to knowing that you would in fact be lining up the second interview we have today. True. Although the exciting news that you got to speak to Ted, but the whole motivation for, or one of the big questions we had for him was the unexciting news that... uh, Dragon again had kind of pushed back to September. Uh, so obviously it was great to, to chat to, to Ted and, and give him a bit of a grilling. But uh, yes, equally excellent to chat with Mark Toyer um, just moments ago on the road, getting the dragon in his hands, testing it, and uh, having some very interesting feedback we'll get to shortly. Yeah. So when you're hearing our interview, uh, the first one that I recorded, of course, at that stage, I had no idea that there were any dragons in the field because there weren't. Uh, Mark is literally the first person to take a camera out. And we spoke to him as he was driving from one location to the next. So that's all um, happening as we speak. Uh, and that was recorded, as I say, just an hour or two ago. But there's both of those interviews coming up in a few minutes. But before we do that, let's just catch up with what's going on else around the world. And I, I would say that the dragon in the field is probably the biggest news. But anything else, Chase? Yeah, I think... <laughs> Well, this is may or may not turn into a bit of a rat hole, but I'm not sure. I think it hasn't been a, a fantastically huge, uh, newsworthy time since I've been away. I have been certainly watching things. There hasn't been a lot around. I think one of the m- more interesting things to, to talk about, and it's, you know, I don't want to turn this into the Sony show, but uh, Sony it just launched a bit of a timeline for their firmware updates for the F5 and the F55. And what's... I think what is interesting and what it flags is really flags, A, uh, continuing the new Sony, you know, mm. and also I think it really echoes somewhat uh, what 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 we kind of uh, read between the lines with things like the Magic Lantern doing, being able to extract RAW from a 5D and what we discussed and also what, what Stu discussed on a, a ProLost blog a while ago um, basically saying it is no longer okay for cameras and manufacturers not to give us everything they've got and to not sort of extract the max out of out of out of the cameras they're selling, and I, I, how that relates to the F5 and 55 is that basically what they've done is somewhat I think you know maybe their marketing guys aren't talking to their camera production guys and, and this is in a good way. But uh, they're basically giving the 55, the F5, the little brother, all the functionality in terms of frame rates that the the F55 does. And they're really extracting as much as possible out of each body. Clearly, there is still a difference, and there's still going to be a difference between those two cameras. One of them has the global shutter. Sorry, don't say global shutter. It has the frame image scan shutter and it has the wider color gamut. Hmm? Why can't you say global shutter? Oh, I, I don't know. I think there's... I think. Copyright lawyers will burst through oh, okay. the door if apparently anyway um it's still got the not larger color gamut it's a different completely different sensor and has that sort of um has that um global shutter reading system essentially uh and obviously it can do 4k internally versus having to do the 4k externally but uh they've basically rung everything and will continue till they roll out the rest of the firmware for the end of the year um let that camera give us as much frame rates as it seems as possible and are adding uh, codecs into into the mix there. They've added uh, these SR codecs, three flavors of these SR codecs, um, uh, SR, SQ, 
SRSQ422, SRSQ444, and SR Lite422. So these are like 440 down to about 220 megabytes a second. will give you less recording time or less less data than the XAVC, the 4K that's in there at about 330 megabits a second. But this SR codec's really been asked for. It's a derivation of the HDCAM SR format, which I believe is quite popular. But um, so the added codecs, they've put on, uh, they've enabled the Wi-Fi module. Uh, they've added two to one and 1.3 to one anamorphic modes. Uh, and really, yeah, as I say, switching on all this firm, firmware and, and giving uh, frame rates. Like I think the uh, 5K, the F55 and the, the 5 will be able to do uh, 120, 180 and 240 frames a second. So um, I guess it's just, I guess it was, feel it was worth a mention that it seems that um, they are listening. And, and even little things like, for the Wi-Fi mode, you can use you know the old Sony would have made you buy a Sony smartphone or a Sony tablet only mm-hmm. to work with it. You know what I mean? And you know now it's obviously it's enabled to anything or iPads and iPhones. You can't ignore that that um, elephant in the room. But I, I I guess I was just very impressed with um, what they're doing with this camera. I think it's generally an impressive camera to begin with. Uh, they're also uh, free of charge, I think upgrading the ND filter knob, not give, not changing the way the ND filters work, but there's something you know they're making them a bit smoother, uh, adding extension cables and adding a different cable to the EVF and just slow, just slow upgrades and uh, yeah, sort of value add. So impressive, I think, and uh, again, good to see a company starting to uh, um, give everything the camera's got and let us have it, and I guess for free. Yeah, I mean, you, I think you summed it up when you said the new Sony, right? I mean, yeah, you know, and and I mean, these cameras are only just out. We've got a couple more. We've seen the prototype store. Hopefully, in the next month or so, we'll we'll see we'll see that. Uh, I think there's even rumours this week of a new full frame NEX cams. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm very interested in watching this space, but uh, equally have had renewed. Uh, I was sort of almost ready after the announcement of uh, the dragon going back to September. I was absolutely livid. I was like, far out, guys. Just why don't you just kick me in the nuts? Just give me a freaking scrotal paper cut and pour lemon juice on it. (laughs) You know, it's just, it's such a tease. It's so annoying. I just, you know, and and it just, with every delay, it just made. The um, you know, the clean room fast, all the more farcical, and uh, so it was good to um, I guess be able to collar collar Ted when so when you collared him, you said, look, did you did you tell, did you sort of I, mean, I guess he expected you might go for the jugular. Yes, yes. I mean, he was asking, you know, if, if can I just can I just but before we do that, I just want to do one other news thing because yeah, sure. because you rat hold and I, I we'll come to Ted in two seconds, I promise. But I just wanted to say, have you seen the latest Kickstarter lens project? Oh yes, yes, the sort of brass kind of old timey lens. Yes, the the manufactured in Russia, nineteenth century. So I just I just want to flag this right. It's uh, how do you pronounce it? Pretzel. It's P E T Z V A L. They wanted a hundred thousand. Within the first few days, they got nine hundred thousand. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. basically a nineteenth-century lens re-engineered for use with a Canon or Nikon or even a uh, I guess any kind of digital SLR. Yeah, I know I've been away, but by the time by the time I heard about this in any way on any blogs or Twitter streams or whatever, it had done. It had been it funded, and all of the major not that I don't think I would have bought one, but all of the major you know Kickstarter, all of the major places for being able to order a lens were all taken. So it's clearly very popular. Although I'm, I guess I'm mildly skeptical as to how how much they took the original lens and then completely blueprinted it. I mean, they shrunk it down because the original lens was meant to cap- is capable of being a large format, you know, a big plate well, for a thousand dollars. You can get one of the twenty-one left out of thirty um, places, which will give you one of the first lenses produced with your name engraved on it because it's a brass uh, lens body. I mean, they, they basically, 
like all most of the the packages and i mean i'm saying like glancing through now like all the high-end ones over a thousand two thousand um you know plus ones are all gone they like i mean it's extraordinary just how popular um this kickstarter thing is anyway it's delivery in april 2014 there's a special black version but i think the brass version is a riot it, it does i quite like the little follow focus on even though it's completely incompatible everything that i have and there's no gears and things but maybe more cameras maybe more lenses should have a little follow focus wheel in, on them <laughs> built-in follow focus wheel yeah i don't know i guess i'm a bit skeptical and i'm sort of a bit not burnt but the whole kickstarter thing i don't know i mean no, i've no, funded plenty of things but there's plenty of stuff that i've i've, I've funded or watched other people fund that are still sitting out there parked i'm talking to you digital bolex seriously there's so many things i just i just where's I digital guess, bolex sir? i don't have hmm? where's digital bolex sir? still waiting to be delivered you know okay. we're talking about plus a year over almost getting towards a year out over overdue i mean again this is and this is not necessarily them but the, uh, plenty of companies have been guilty of this and read to some degree same letting perfect be the enemy of good you know like oh we just thought we'd add this thing and oh we got this great idea for a crank handle and oh we we with awesome functionality that you can hook it up with your iPhone seriously just ship what you promised i mean i don't have any money i have i haven't given any money to any to say digital bolex i shouldn't be this annoyed but i guess i'm annoyed on behalf of all of those who <laughs> have already given their money you know i guess I, I don't know why it bugs me but it does that people will launch a kickstarter give a date ask for money have taken all the money from everybody uh and getting close to a year or maybe a year later not shipped it and only just seeing, showing literally a few days ago, uh, a, w- a couple of weeks ago, showing some new imagery. And the imagery still had some, mosa- there were still issues with the imagery and uh, some, some, some of the, 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 the samples. Well, if I could uh, be glass so half full for a really second. So are we really that far, a year late overdue and you're having imagery problems? Seriously, how fucked up is this project? But hang on, isn't this a testament to the fact that actually making cameras is harder than it seems? Yeah, but the problem is that at the end of the day you're going to be lapped by the, the longer you wait you know and other companies have, have come and been died and been crushed by other companies because they've basically let perfect perfect be the enemy of good and not shipped and pushed for something better pushed for something better and then just been completely lapped and uh kicked to the curb by well, someone who's who's <laughs> who's who you know who 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 maybe what wasn't I have so no inside information but just looking at the digital bolex website as of July 16 mm-hmm. they'd got their sensor 39 days before um but yes there's a what I'm going to call a benchtop version not the production model <laughs> that's useful um <laughs> that's but anyway that's as long a, as you want to shoot kitchen commercials that's you're digi- in, you're perfect that's at digitalbolics.com okay so, so well, hang on let's have a look at it okay so let's have a look at this funded on april 12 2012 all right uh so well over a year ago i'm trying to work out when let's see when about the camera what would we need da 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 What's the deal? When will we when will be shipping? When do the first 100 cameras ship? August. Exact dates to be announced. Okay. Which August? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that brings us as an interesting segue oh. to my uh, chat with Ted from Red. Now, here's the thing. We should get the Jibolics guys on here because I've sort of been you should. so scathing. You should. But I've got Ted, so just shut the fuck up. Okay. Um, so the thing is this. We... We are obviously Epic users. Uh, we obviously use a bunch of other cameras as well. Um, but we wouldn't want to be accused of, how can I put this, um, being just uh, you know a, a fanboy kind of uh, receptors to anyone. So <laughs> I decided that we'd have a, a blunt and upfront interview with Ted. I think I was pretty uh, blunt because, as you'll hear at the end of the interview, Ted actually defends the fact that we are, in fact, friends and he isn't on the verge of, of uh, punching me. But I did want to ask the questions that I know all of us want to know, which is, you know, especially, and I'm, like, I'm being serious here for a second, right? I, I, the problem with RED is not, my, my criticism is not of the quality of the camera that we use day in, day out. I love it. My problem is expectation management. 
And my second problem is that uh, at NAB, there was a clean room set up. There was a serious expectation set up there. And that that expectation was, there is a clean room, here it is, we are fitting Look dragon cameras. sensors. We are making them... Where it, it was... Dragon is go. Yeah, dragon is go. Whatever, okay. in go in inverted commas, whatever that means. Yeah. We and are so, go to be stopped. So clearly, I thought I'd start my discussion by just basically asking, what the... <laughs> what the fuck, Ted? As you'll hear now, and Ted was very gracious, this was recorded at a trade show. We tried to find a quiet space, but um, the audio quality is pretty good, but it's just a little noisier than we would normally have. Anyway, here now, uh, graciously, is Ted being interrogated by me. You are entering the Red Room. How are you, Ted? I'm excellent. How are you? What are you doing at Sidgraph? I'm taking a break from Camp Red. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you stood beside me at NAB, and we talked about putting dragon sensors in cameras, in clean rooms. Yes. Were you just, like, lying to me? No. Um, Felt like you were lying to me. Yeah, I know, it does, right? So so there's, there's an interesting psychology around timing of trade shows and what you're going to do to show, right? So the sensor technology, the fab, the silicon, was ready, okay. right? Built. Okay, we've got them. There they are. These are actual dragon sensors. They're yeah. of the 6K pixel array and da-da-da-da-da, right? Everything associated. But the back end, the, the final mile, is not there yet. And we knew that going in, right? We couldn't really show pictures. We're like, okay. So our story is, well, you have to have something for the show, right? So our story, which is a good and valid and true story, is we are doing the upgrades of the sensors. Made a nice splash, and it was cool, and it was fun. But the reality of it was we needed a lot more time to get this thing finished. We, Jim talked about it at an AB, didn't really know the timeline, but we said it's not done yet. Okay, right? but, but this is coming post to you guys saying we're not going to talk about anything anymore until it's actually here because we've gotten to that hole before. It's bad. People don't like it. We understand you guys are making plans. Yeah, yeah. We get how it is. We're going to keep our mouth shut. Oh, by the way, here's a clean room. We're installing dragon sensors. Yeah, Wait a second. Okay, so, I, so let me see how I can... Red doesn't plan well. It doesn't path well. What Red does really well is create really good products and talk about them at various times in their development without any real thought process as to maybe we should or shouldn't say this. Now, we constantly want to re-correct, right? We constantly want to do course correction on that. It is in our nature to be very excited and very zealous, sometimes overzealous about our product plans. Right? I mean, you think about the things that we've talked about years before they've hit the market. And then they kind of do this. Engineering takes its own little path. Yeah, I mean, I mean is everything want, that you outlined back when you were outlining the sensor array stuff, like a Super 35 sensor and like all that other stuff, yeah. is it all just gone by the wayside? No, like, on the Dragon, you mean? Or on no, 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 because back in the day, you set up this whole pipeline, you know, these big sensors, all these other cameras, mm-hmm. it was like massive oh, yeah, no, tables. No. It's, it, no, no, it hasn't gone away at all. I mean, it's, it's still in the soup, right? Okay. We're developing, we're building. Reality touches our version of... Re- real reality touches our version of reality from time to time. Okay. Quite a lot, right? So the desires of the guys that drive this company versus the engineering realities of life are sort of constantly at odds with each other. Here's the thing. No one, I think, is particularly unhappy with their epic cameras. Mm. The only well, problem yeah. is just expectation right. management. I right? agree. Yeah. And you are talking to a group of people in the film industry who spend a lot of time doing their own expectation management, right? If you say, I'm going to have a movie in the cinemas at Christmas, it's a good idea to have it in the cinemas at Christmas, right? So my question is, when are we going to start seeing actual dragon imagery that would give us the confidence that right. they're getting close? So now here's, here's a really interesting thing for me to say to you and to the rest of the world. So because of what Dragon has been doing post-NAB, my mission has been to leave those guys alone. Jared is driving that world, doing an excellent job, sure. testing within these circles within circles, proving it out. I've decided strategically and spiritually for my own sanity to actually drive this part of the business, and I'm pointing this way, right? All this creative fun stuff with our existing technology, which you are right, is world beating, right? I mean, it is the best camera on the planet. Yeah, I'm not arguing about the camera thing, right? And 
when the other part of Red says, okay, Ted, it's ready for you now. It's ready for you to take out into the world and show it and prove it and demonstrate everything you did with the Red One and everything you did with the Epic and everything you did in those stages, then it'll be ready. And in the meanwhile, truthfully, I'm spending almost no cycles on it other than checking in every now and again, once every okay. week, and saying, how are things going? And I get a little progress report. Okay, but, but you know, I know that you have a number of hats, but one of them is got a sort of a role of sales. We used to joke that it was the easiest role for you in the world. Yep. But surely there is just a business principle, which is if you say a dragon's about to ship, you crush immediate sales because it's like, well, hang on, I'll just wait till the new one comes. Yeah, that's that Osborne effect challenge, right? That people know from yeah. years back. So it just doesn't make a lot of sense. So interestingly enough, it hasn't okay. because the Epic is still the only camera that does what an Epic does. There are a lot of now 4K cameras on the market, right? But their form factor is problematic. Their workflow is not as evolved as the RED workflow in many ways. As often you know, not raw. You, right, often yeah, not just raw. Weird just of... weird offshoots and they're yeah. kind of getting there. I actually have a lot of admiration for what Canon is doing, not so much on the C3C500 with the external recorder, but on their SLR line that is actually recording a version of 4K to a CF card on board. I've seen the pictures, I think they're great. Yeah. I don't think they're compared to an Epic yet, but I think you know they're finally getting their act together, and I think that's good. I think the other stuff is like a non-starter to me, like kludging on this external recorder to get 4K, and it's really HD here, but only 4K. Like, forget it. I'm, as a producer, I'd be like, not interested. But the all-in-one, you know, concept. Okay, I'm actually interested, right? As a, as a guy who builds, the Work thing close. they're trying to catch up to, yep. right? I actually think that's great. I think it's great for the industry. So I think a lot of what they're doing is right, and a lot of what they're doing is wrong. Um, and now I've completely lost what I was. So does that, come back into does that policy also extend to not discussing projectors and stuff? I mean, I can discuss anything. I can tell you, projector-wise, we are a long throw away. We are still deep in the engineering soup. We showed really nice looking pictures a couple of years ago and we've taken a lot of twists and turns. I can't really reveal any more than that. That's deep in the world of IP, but it's it's not tomorrow. Okay. Well, let's change it completely then and just discuss the success that the cameras are actually having in the theatrical market. Yeah. Because we've actually seen not only a lot of use of them in films now, but some really good films coming that have mm -hmm. got uh, read at them. And um, how are those films going in terms of developing their workflows and how is that kind of evolving? Yeah, I think the the workflow stabilization has really come along nicely. And I believe Red nurtured it to a certain extent and then it kind of took on its own life. Yeah, I mean Adobe's doing great Every, stuff. And not just yeah. Adobe, I mean Foundry yeah. and, yep. and, and Apple with the new Final Cut and um, you know, you, every DI. Yep company on the planet, like we're getting ready to do this big Da Vinci stuff, yeah. and Filmlight, Baselight yeah. and Dakota and Pablo, Quantel, I mean you name it, right? They're all really locked in now. We're getting ready to do a big event uh, for Pacific Rim that's all Baselight, Filmlight oriented uh, in a week from now. Um, so that's on my mind lately. Um, but I think what's happened is we got it to a certain point, we kept chewing on it and then we worked enough with these really smart companies that I would say our partner companies at that level, and they figured it out. And now everybody's doing really well with it. And there's not, a lot of the questions I used to get, a lot of the kind of spooky, like, uh, we can't get, we see other people doing these amazing things with camera, but we can't get there. Now everybody gets there, like, with ease. Um, and if you don't, you're really doing something wrong. You know? I mean, because we've got 70 kids getting there at Paramount right now doing our summer camp program. And they get there. They are shooting Epic. They process RAW. They cut R3Ds. Yeah, I think it's, shooting RAW has certainly grown tremendously in its respectability. Mm -hmm. was. It used to be somewhat, you know, uh, that you were fringy if you wanted to do everything RAW. Right, now it's and pretty now mainstream. It's, yeah, and more than that even, it's the more professional option to go that right. path because you understand those, yeah. those advantages. But even more than that, it used to be a huge hindrance, the thought that I would have to handle this much data. And of course, Moore's Law is on your side, right? The longer you talk, the faster the drives get. We've been seeing some Everything very else fast works. stuff just here. Yeah. Yeah. Everything else gets really easy, which is what we're seeing. Yeah. yeah. So tell me, what's the, um, your, your viewpoint looking out at the market? What's the sort of future looking in terms of stereo and 48 frames and stuff? Because mm. we've seen now a, a major theatrical film do that and the dust has settled. Yeah. Well, the second one will come out. The second Hobbit will yep. come out and Peter is firmly committed to it. And James Cameron is firmly committed to high frame rate and a few others. Um, you know, I think it's going to kind of take a few few fits and starts before it locks in in a certain way. I have, 
I have an interesting prediction as a guy who only knows enough to be dangerous in this question, so it's actually an open question. But my prediction about high frame rate is it's going to find some interesting neutral ground where there will be a high frame rate container that will allow multiple frame rates to work within a high frame rate project. So okay. a creative director, let's say it's Peter Jackson or Neil from Elysium or yep. you know or Guillermo from Pacific Rim or whoever it is, um, wants well, to shoot dramatic scenes at 24 because it feels like drama, action scenes at 48, um, some crazy, crazy action scenes at 120, and then the next scene you drop back to 24 for the the, the post-apocalypse of the, yeah. you know, I don't know I, if you've, I don't know if you've heard this theory, but I think it was proposed by uh, proposed by John Knoll, um, but I didn't hear it firsthand. It was kind of interesting to me. It was like the reaction against 48 frames mm. primarily comes from those interior shots in a studio-esque environment, and the the most high adoption of loving it is from big, wide, epic exterior shots. And one of the reasons that he said that that huh. was the case is that. If you are in a studio, we're trying to fake it to look like real. And if you're outside, it's all real. And so when you get a 48-frame experience, it's enhancing the realism of the theatrical experience of an exterior-wide, big, real vista. We're used to that, and that's what we want. We don't want our studio sets to look more real, real. because we're trying to fake them to look real because they're not real, if that makes so, sense. So that, I guess that makes sense. So Part that's of my brain what you're just saying, though. It's telling if, me that. If you wanted a drama you can interior, choose, right. you would might shoot at 24 because that feels more cinematic in that environment. Right. When you go to those big uh, shots around New Zealand type of thing, I mean, I loved 48 on those big shots. Yeah, it was that's just interesting. so nothing between me and the, and the environment. So that, that's interesting because I actually have the opposite psychology to it. What when I liked, you're watching it, or yeah. Oh, really? What I liked about the visuals is I really liked the dark stuff with Gollum, and the, I liked how real he looked, mixing with that frame rate. And my brain, even though I'm pretty apt to take this stuff on more than a lot of viewers my age, didn't really love, love, love the 48 frame for the exteriors. For hmm. some reason, it was too real. It was almost like a sporting event. Like I didn't fall in love with that. I actually fell in love with the interiors, the darker stuff, the stuff where there's these layers and layers of visual effects with the epic cinematography all blended together. And I just, my brain and my eyes just ate that up. Like I was just totally enamored with that. The exterior sort of big aerials, I got why people like that, but my filmmaking brain didn't love that as much. That's just my personal opinion. You must be feeling pretty validated though on the just straight 4K, leave frame size out for it for a second. Oh, yeah. Because we're seeing now you know, the thing that was kind of missing, which was, well, it's all very well doing this 4K, but who the hell's ever going to see it? <laughs> and now we're seeing it theatrically, we're seeing it at home on, on 4K screens. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, I went last night to see Pacific Rim in IMAX 3D, because I had these meetings with Warner today, and I had to make sure that I saw it for a point of context to discuss it. And I was about seven rows back in the IMAX theater, and it's, you know, IMAX is 2K digital, right? Well, I mean, it looked great, but I can absolutely see the screen door at that distance away. So I really wanted it at 4K, and I was actually tempted to move back about six or seven rows so my eyes row, could yeah. settle a little bit on it, but I know when I see 4K versus 2K, I really see 4K, no matter where I sit in the theater. My brain and my eyes are attuned to it, and I think a lot of viewers now are really starting to get and understand when you sit at a certain distance in 2K, you see the grid. You see the grid of that projector on a big 50, 60, 70-foot sheet. And you don't see it in 4K. You absolutely do see it in 2K. Yeah, and I think generationally, as as the audience has moved through to that audience which sort of grew up with digital and doesn't see it... Because, I mean, back in the day, we used to see a very sharp difference between that which was filmed as being high quality and that which was filmed live, like yeah, yeah. a sporting event, yeah, and thus it was, was not cinematic. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I mean, if you're... I don't want to sound patronising, but if you're of the video game generation... You just want sharp, clean pictures, yeah. right? You want you as real want as it can possibly be exactly, yeah. for your fantasy. Yeah. yeah. And so that's, I mean, films like Elysium are actually getting their, their visual effects pipes. Obviously, so was Hobbit, but, but a film like Elysium is actually doing their post-pipelines at higher res, yes. which is terrific because it's, it was a criticism that I had of some of the discussion a little earlier on. Everyone was saying, well, we want to archive, and so hence we should shoot in 4K. And I was putting my hand up going, but wait a second, all the visual effects are in 2K, yeah. so... I'm sorry, you're not going to have a 4K master. You're just kidding yourself. But now that's starting to change. Now that's starting to change. Which is well. exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I think for me, 
what's so great about it is it's starting to break down these barriers that, you know, there's always a kernel of truth in the, oh, well, 4K VFX and 4K high-res finishing is going to just cost way, way more, so we can't do it. But there's always someone that's going to be bold enough to say, i got to call you out on that. We're going to actually need to do some real math on this and real cycle processing. Everything gets faster. Computers get faster. Drives get cheaper. Everything gets cheaper, faster, and more powerful. So today's math is much different than the math from five years ago. Yeah. And you can start looking at that math and going, you guys are still using your numbers from five years ago. I can prove to you that I can do a 4K workflow with a big VFX movie for maybe only marginally more than a 2K workflow. It's not gonna be four times as much like everyone thinks it is, right? And also there's a whole nother part of this which is smaller indie films, which are less VFX. Maybe there's a couple of VFX plates and a couple of VFX shots, but ultimately the rest of the 4K workflow is a piece of cake to go from acquisition to finish. It's just that last little piece of VFX that is the trouble spot, but that's starting to erode. The, the logic that used to be there is illogical now to me. Now I know I'm always a little more advanced than the rest of the industry, but I think the rest of the industry is really catching up now. It used to also be the case that you would say that with every red shoot I had a 5K dongle because I needed a hardware, hardware card to be able to work practically. I'm just wondering, with the new um, Red Rocket X, yep. what's the kind of uptake on that? And I'm not meaning in a negative sense, but I mean, I quite happily shoot red footage and for some pipelines that are HD, yeah. I shoot 4K because I want to oversample, I want to be able to blow up, but I have a, you know, Adobe pipeline doesn't actually require no, a Red Rocket card. Right. No, I have one, yeah. but some of my pipelines just don't yeah. need it. No, we use, I, I completely condone and believe in both. I think obviously there's great power and, and usability in having a rocket-based workflow, depending on what you need to do. If you need to make a lot of deliverables for a lot of people very quickly, and you need to kick out DNX and ProRes and whatever else you need, Rocket's really nice to have, right? Single computer, you're kicking out stuff in real time or very close to real time or sometimes faster than real time. But to do a native R3D pipeline loaded into Adobe Premiere on a really fast HP computer, no Rocket needed. I've got you know half decode and I'm cutting fine. And again, you know, I use the kids as a yeah. great example of this. I've got seven groups of 10 kids all today cutting projects on Z1s, no rockets in them, loading in 4K and 5K R3Ds, cutting them like butter, like they're just, and they don't know it should be hard. They just do it. It's like, yeah, well, you we just loaded the computer. You them explain how it was hard. Right. Yeah. But I mean, five years ago or three years ago, whenever it was, you and I would have said, Hey, if you're serious about doing red, yeah, rocket, just rocket, buy a rocket. rocket. Right. I don't, it's not even a question. Yeah. But now I think it's actually, it's not so much that you were dishing the red rocket card, it's just simply there are valid workflows without Absolutely. it. Absolutely, and it's, it's all about, for us, it's all about thinking through the, the workflow, thinking through what you need, and making your best choice, right? It's not about us trying to convince everybody to buy a rocket. It's about trying to make sure that people that need a rocket get a rocket so they don't get frustrated, and making sure that people that don't need a rocket don't have to spend that money. So the reason I'm asking this question, of course, is I'm leading towards the new Mac Towers, mm. which I can't put a rocket in. Right. We can put a rocket out. out, but out, we can't put a rocket in. In. Yeah. Right. So what do you think about that? Do you think it's going to work? Well, I think, the, I think the new tower is great. I, I love, I, number one, I love how controversial it is. Number two, because that controversy, controversy means accelerating something important. Um, I, I love how crazy GPU-centric it is and how smart the design is. And I love the fact that they're going next-gen Thunderbolt. And mm -hmm. that makes a big difference. I, I get that, you know, we obviously build a card, right? So we have this great pathway with HP as a, as a perfect example of, you need rocket power, you need a lot of cards, you need a lot of slots, you need a lot of places to put drives, you go the HP route. If you don't need that, and you need very lean and sleek and portable, you get one of the new Mac Towers and a Thunderbolt version of the rocket, or not even so that. You said, I know we said we weren't going to talk about theoretical products, but I'd really appreciate it if when you go back to the ranch next time, you could mention that I'd really like a Thunderbolt 2 card reader. Yeah, so here's the, here's the open question. So in today's world, the bottleneck itself is the media speed coming off the SSD, which is a couple hundred megs a second, right? So interestingly enough, and I think about this too, because I my dream machine as a portable computer is that Retina 15-inch Mac, because it has Thunderbolt and USB 3 on it. Yep. USB 3 pulls my data off, I think, either very close or as fast as the card will allow. 
right? Yep. So I want I I don't waste my Thunderbolt port for that. I use my Thunderbolt port so for all the other stuff. So you could daisy chain your Thunderbolts because yeah, you I mean I'm sure there would be different workflows that would make sense. But uh, but I guess what I'm sort of saying is yes, I get what you want, but USB three is actually an extremely viable option because it's so damn cheap and so ubiquitous, and it pulls the data off the card as fast as the card will allow it today. Okay. Now that doesn't mean in the future we won't. Well, Change I, st- I still would quite like a Thunderbolt reader, please. But do you understand my point? Right? No, I do. Yeah. Okay, well, look, it's been great talking to you. Thanks my so much pleasure. for taking time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and now, before we close out, yes, sir. because I love the fact that you ask hard, honest, valuable questions. And last time we did this, <laughs> well, it's been a few years. We've done lots of interviews between them. But last time we did anything that was even slightly controversial, everybody kind of freaked out. They're like, why are you beating up Ted? Ted's a great guy. Stop it. And I'm like... I think they actually accused me of trying to kill you. Yeah, well, that was because I had a little heart thing, but that was some years ago. That was quite quite extreme. Yeah, it was quite extreme. This is important. It's important to have an open dialogue, right? It's important for people to speak their minds and say when they think you're doing something right and when they think you're doing something wrong. And it's okay to be a little aggressive. There's nothing wrong with it. In fact, it's very right. And I wish other reporters... I talked to what? 230 reporters over the four well, days you, of NAB. You did say right? to me once, uh, I get to a point in the day where I say, why don't you just Google the questions yeah, you just asked me because they're the all same the same. Yeah. Right. I want people asking the hard questions because they're interesting. Right? I think Red's a really interesting company. It's an interesting company to work for. It's an interesting company to be a part of. And if you don't allow it to be interesting, what's the fun of it? Right? So I give you kudos and great respect for asking things that might make me a little uncomfortable. I do my best to answer. So give Mike a break. Okay, thanks. Ted, thank you. (laughs) Such a good sport. (laughs) I know, you know, it's very hard for him to be able to say something without saying anything. And it's very, I really appreciate him, um, um, you know, stepping up. And and, and, uh, I love the first question. (laughs) Are you lying? <laughs> but the thing is, Jace, uh, as I said at the outset, as the intro to this, I mean, you and I both have a very, very strong commercials background, which is a client environment yeah. in which the number one rule of client work is you basically under-promise and over-deliver. Yeah. I mean, isn't that what you do? I mean, you wouldn't promise yeah. the world. And- oh, sure. I guess the difference for... I guess the difference in this relationship to, I guess, you know, from like red customers to red versus, say, a production company and or directed delivering to an agency is the agency is the one that sets the deadlines, you know. And what you've got is red sets their own deadlines. They have customers, but, uh, you know, the customers aren't the ones setting the deadlines. So it would be great if it was the other way around. But uh, yeah, I I completely agree. You have to um, don't don't promise anything you can't deliver. But maybe genuinely, all the way along, they honestly thought they were. Oh, I don't made, think they must generally have. Yeah, no, I don't think they come they're... up against stuff that they just couldn't. A couldn't 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 uh, couldn't knowingly ship uh, with the issues, and or couldn't really admit or, or tell us. Will share what those issues are, which is fine. You know, they don't have to tell us. We 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 have this weird relationship with Red that they um, that they share, which is a double edged. Or we've always said is a double edged sword for them. They they you know they're open. They're an open company, but uh, that obviously has its its issues. You know, um, you can either just be completely quiet and surprise people. Or you can be completely open and risk run the risk as they do of disappointing. But uh, again, as you said at the outset, before the, even the interview, we both own Epics, both love them, and and have a choice of cameras. And if they made shit cameras, if they made cameras that oh, created yeah. crap imagery, we wouldn't care. Or yeah. fucked up on every second shot shoot yeah. and. Um, uh, it was a complete pain in the ass, and every day you got on, you know, and the imagery was shocking, and you had to battle with it. We wouldn't care. We wouldn't care if they weren't shipping the next version. Too bad. We would have moved on ages ago. There's now plenty of options to, to you know. Um, but I think we care because they are creating. I think a really, you know, every time I don't use my Epic for a while, it's kind of like, oh great, big good riddance, whatever. Who needs it? And then you just pick it up again and you just shoot with it again and you're just astounded at how good it is. 
how sharp, how clean, how small, you know, how portable, just the, the size of the thing. It is still, it is still a really good sort of, you know, um, access of not evil, but you know, it, it has all, it ticks a lot of boxes mm. of, of, of size, power, frame rate, just, you know, and now, um, as we're about to hear, um, and as has been promised, that the promise of Dragon is that for not very much money to to upgrade, you can what get what is starting to feel like a new camera. You know, I know that the obsolescence obsolete thing is something that we kind of joke about, and you know, it's their mantra, but it, it's often sometimes seen as a little bit of a joke that you know stuff does definitely get changed yeah no this is definitely a case that you are not throwing out the camera you are yeah. upgrading the camera and yeah. that upgrade path is really really valid and look yeah. i said we weren't trying to be like fanboys but if i could use the analogy of a fan i mean if you've got a band that you really follow and they're going to tour and you buy their records and you listen to the songs and stuff you know it doesn't mean that you dislike the music just because they say they're going to be touring in January and then they just don't and they say they're touring in February and they just don't I yeah. mean that's just an annoying thing yeah it doesn't you're make any busting. difference you're, you're frustrated because you're absolutely because busting you like the music yeah, you like what they do yeah. so anyway um I'm not for a second uh saying that one should let red off the hook but by the same token I don't think you should you know um throw them out with the bathwater because they are trying uh, this different business model of being open. But yeah. look, the, it's a two-way street. You know, if you're going to s- open up and say, especially when you say things like, we're not going to say anything now until we can actually deliver, <laughs> you know, I mean, you're just inviting people to get cranky. But if we were going to say something, what we'd we say might is, say this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so I, anyway. yeah. I, I, but I, I, I mean, I'm personally, I don't know about you, Mike. I know you're a very different person in a lot of ways. But uh, I am an incredibly impatient person. <laughs> I know you're. Maybe that's the whole production stroke post thing. Is that you know, you're sort of used to being more. You think I'm more patient than you? Well, that's I don't nice know. You're kind of used to sort of living your life by a rendering timeline in a way, and, <laughs> and I'm kind of used to standing on set watching people. I don't know. I guess maybe it's exactly the same set of frustrations, but. Is always wanting to have something happen yesterday, you know. Given that, that I'm actually probably one of I could I could procrastinate for Australia, you know. <laughs> so I don't maybe I don't, I don't know what I am, but I definitely know that I am really impatient if I know something is 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 just right there. But that said, September, you know, it's not that far away. We're pretty much pretty much it's it's August tomorrow as we record this. So you know. If they are true, if they are true to September, we don't get to September and they say, oh, sorry, it's whatever, okay, spring here's 2016 the thing. Here's the thing. Being, or something. Being glass half full again, the number one sort of tick box of them shipping the product is that there are some early adopters that get some and they're rolled out. Like yes. the, it's the, I don't want to call it alpha testing or beta testing, it's not that, but it's just like you know that you're not going to see a camera yourself until some have been out there doing some work somewhere, yeah. doing some testing somewhere. If no director can get their hands on any camera, then no camera is going to start shipping in quantity. Yeah. It always comes that there are some out there with some initial tests. doesn't matter what manufacturer. That's the thing that is the precursor to shipping. There are, just to be clear, there are other... There are other dragons out there, obviously, shooting stuff. But a lot of them maybe are on, on projects that you know are in lockdown, long-term projects... Or pro, you know, commercial projects, or feature films, or you know, series or so, um, that uh, you know, the footage can't be released. I've not spoken to anyone who's actually shot with a dragon outside of a, you know, like in a, in an unrestricted environment. Until I'm aware we spoke of them being shot. I'm aware of them out there, and I know who's working with them. But I'm not. I have not again spoken to them uh, in, in person. But so nothing beats somebody without supervision just yeah. taking one out in the field and letting rip and without sort of you know unrestricted you know ability they, they can say whatever they like you know but they don't have any uh any NDA, any nda shackles it's uh yeah completely free to take the camera the run with it and and do what work does which is shoot some beautiful imagery now mark toyer for those of you that are familiar with the show here at the rc is a good uh, friend of the rc but uh, those of you that aren't, Mark is an A-grade director, much like my good friend here, Mr. Wingrove. Um, 
though Mark is based in Queensland. Uh, Mark does a lot of work, as you do, Jace, where he is not only directing, but gets to actually grab the camera and yeah. shoot some stuff as well. This is not to say that he's a cameraman director in the kind of uh, old school sense. He is absolutely a, um, as you are, Jason, just a director that just happens to like also filming, though clearly you also work with cinematographers, both of you. Yeah, he's an outstanding shooter and someone who's migrated from the stills realm, which I think is all the more amazing that he's that he's had that background and has got such a grasp of of uh, story and motion and, and uh, cutting and, you know, He's a good mate and shares a lot of with a lot of his stuff uh, whenever it's ready, and it's just always annoyingly, frustratingly, beautifully, astoundingly gorgeous. And um, you know, the guy never stops. He's uh, yeah, I mean, impressive. In impressive in terms shoot, of, so I'm very glad he's uh, got his hands on. Yeah, in terms of of rating, uh, I don't like to do this, but in terms of like rating Mark, he is what you'd call an A grade director. He works internationally, though he is, I say, based in Queensland. He's won heaps of awards. His company is uh, Zoom filmandtv.com.au and uh, the fact that he's based in Queensland as I say most of his work I mean I'm often talking to him when he's in Jakarta or yeah. uh, uh, you know some other part of the world so he does work uh, globally yes but, he's um, rarely home shooting back here so it's all the more impressive that this perfect storm of him having free time and being in in country and you know and a dragon being available for him yeah so uh, so Jason do you want to set this up how did we come to talk to him um, well uh, I was actually trying to, I had to go up to Brisbane for a meeting and I thought, oh, dude, actually, oh, I might just hit up Mark to see if I was there at the time, if, do, are you going to get this dragon? And uh, yes, yes, he was, but he's already sh- got it and shooting it. And, and uh, he, ha- I just said, stay in touch, which he did, happened to be as I was driving here this morning saying, dude, I've got it. I love it. It's amazing. Oh my God. And I said, okay, hold that, hold that thought. Don't peek too early. We'll get you on the line. Uh, so literally, Mark is uh, on the road with his uh, camera assistant, uh, Cameron, long-time camera assistant, Cameron, um, and they are driving from location to location, basically just, yeah, having just uh, mates out there on the road um, putting the camera through its paces. So Mark was gracious enough to ring in from the road and uh, give us his initial thoughts uh, mid-test uh, of Dragon. You are entering the Red Room. Hey, it's Mike Seymour. How are you, Mark? Hey, Mike. Jason's on the line with us as well. Nice. You said yes. (laughs) I did. (laughs) So I saw, Mark, on Facebook, you posted a picture saying, this looks pretty, and then someone said, it probably has an on button, and you said, yeah, I haven't pressed it yet. Have you got around to pressing it yet? Oh, the stills button. Oh, is that what it was? Okay. Yeah, yeah. no, we haven't really played with it. I don't even know if it works or not yet, but we'll give it a go. I, I Look, me personally, I don't even know what it will do, but um, last night you don't even need a stills button. I don't, I'm not really sure the use of it because I'm just going to pull stills from the moving footage anyway, but anyway, I'm sure it has a, has a use. So I'd like to know what it actually does, and we will probably press it today sometime. But you have pressed the record button, is my point. Oh, very much so. Yeah, we've given it a hiding. So, what do you think? On, <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> straight up, it's um, it's a a big difference from the Epic, in the sense to where it actually looks, when you're looking at the viewfinder, both EVF and the, five, uh, sorry, the touchscreen, it actually looks like you're, what you see with your human eye in the sense of contrast, which I find amazing. and something actually quite refreshing to see and to look at. So you are seeing so, uh, a better dynamic range? Instantly, yeah. Okay, have you got a number on that yet, do you think, or sort of vaguely? Well, I don't, I don't have any um, tools to gauge exactly what that is, but uh, just with my years of experience of shooting, I'm, I, you know, you can easily see another stop just in the screen alone uh, with our grading test we did last night there was another stop hiding in there but the best area that I like is the highlight information there's another stop there so um, um, yeah no there's there's that it's, it's all over the place 
So, yeah, you, it's a far better chip by the looks of things. How complete does the camera feel right now? Does it feel like it's being held together with gaffer tape or does it feel like it's a working model? No, it looks the real deal. I would just pretty much step into shooting a big job with it straight away. It hasn't glitched and carried on. It hasn't done... It ha to be honest, it's been actually more stable than the current Epic MX <laughs> that we have. So and fun. no real gotchas? No real... Nothing, nothing major that doesn't work? It just seems to be no. yeah, pretty production ready? There's a new interface on it, which is um, a lot easier than the last one. Do you mean like a UI? Yep. And um, yeah, it's not too dissimilar, but the buttons are a lot easier to get to, and things are easy to touch and feel, and we, we're liking it. So, uh, in terms in terms of what you've been shooting, you've been shooting 6K. <laughs> yeah, that's all we're shooting. Right. We're shooting the full uh, 6K 2 to 1 is what it has enabled at the moment. I'm not sure it's going to go any bigger than that. So you can't ask it too technical a question. Uh, sure. We've been shooting uh, 6K widescreen. As in the uh, anamorphic? or No, we haven't got any anamorphic lenses with us. So it's the, um, the 235 or the widescreen right. type right. format, and that's pretty amazing. I mean, what I like about that is it sort of gives you everything. It gives you... You know, 5K sort of HD, it gives you 5K 2 to 1, and it gives you widescreen 6K all in the same thing. So if you want a 5K master, or sorry, a 16.9 master, you just chop the sides off if you want, because you're still not going to drop too much resolution or hardly anything, you know. Um, I, you know, I think I find 265, which I never really used it before, I don't really care about it, but now it just seems like so much image area that you can use any part of it. So, yes, you are seeing that big difference, the one that I'm chasing. You're seeing a big difference between uh, bumping from 6K to 5K in terms of Massive. field view. Yes, it's, it's really dramatic. It's like an easy extra 20%. It's fantastic. So, basically, the crop factor on an Epic is 1.4, and the crop factor on the 6K should be 1.18, if I recall correctly, which is not quite, obviously, uh, full-frame 35, but um, sort of noticeably different is what I'm hearing you saying. Yeah, noticeably, yeah. And actually, believe it or not, it might not be the same as full frame 35mm, but it definitely feels very much like it. Like, for the first time, we just put a 600mm F4 on it, and we're just shooting some uh, some cars drifting around corners and everything, and and um, for the first time, the 600mm actually felt like a 600mm. It didn't feel like an 800 or a 720, you know what I mean? Right. So, um, yeah, it's got, it's got a very good full-frame 35mm feel, even though it's probably a tiny bit smaller. So you say at the moment you're restricted to 6K 2 to 1, is that right? Or is there a 6K full-frame mode? What can you get in 6K at this stage? Yeah, there's no 6K full-frame at the moment, no. I'm, and I'm not sure if there's going to be, but 6K 2 to 1 is there. Right, okay. Um, and so you say you're feeling, it's looking very smooth and... and I guess if you're seeing such a bit of a dynamic range, it's feeling a little bit HDR-ish, and as you say, it's sounding like it's it's feeling like yeah, it it's does. your eye. It does. It certainly has a HDR feel to it, but not extreme. Like you know, when you max out HDR on the current Epic, it it all looks a bit washed out. You wouldn't really use the shot, even though the information is there. You can probably grab what you want from it. Uh, it certainly has a HDR feel in the sense to where all of a sudden when you're looking at a high contrast scene you can actually see all the information in the shadows and you can still see clouds and sky and sunlight very clearly. So it's not like you... Yeah, you, it's, yeah it feels like HDR when you look at it. I've, I've actually put a little bit of shadow detail into it just through the meta settings uh, just to give me a little bit of contrast back just so it feels like a, you know, a nice image again. Because it's, it's, I'm not really into that HDR look, but I don't want to really look at it, but um, it's easy to get rid of it. You just, uh, I just yeah. put one click yeah. of um, shadow detail back in it and it looks stunning, you know, it looks great. Yeah, I'm not a fan yeah, of the not. tone map look myself. Hey, you mentioned cars sliding around corners. Am I hearing that you've been uh, shooting it off speed? Like it goes up to, what, 100 frames a second at 6K? Yeah, exactly. Um, so you're seeing that you're ripping through the data as well. How are you? How, how are you going in terms of card usage? Um, look, I, I, it's eating more, but it's not scaring me. Put it this way: I haven't had to grab for a 256 gig card yet. 
Are you using your original cards or are these special new cards? Oh, they're a special blue special card. Ultra turbo thing. I don't think they're out yet. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm just using my standard cards. Yeah. Good to hear. Because <laughs> I think obviously that's a lot of people's uh, worry or people's interest in uh, whether they need to be reinvesting in, in larger cards or how, how much of a data scare they're in for. Yeah, look, I don't think there is. It just feels okay. fine to me. I mean, if I'm put it this way, if I'm flying around in a helicopter and, and you don't want to land much here, put a big card in it. But at the moment, it just it feels fine. I've been shooting slow motion all morning and, and a, ver- a bunch of various at various other speeds, and uh, it's just, you know we're still on the same card. So uh, we're doing good. Everything's good. So what mount and what lenses have you been? You mentioned that 600, but presumably you've got a PL mount on the front of it at the moment. Yeah, no, we've taken the PL off. Uh, reason is uh, because 6K is so much wider, I didn't want to be looking at the images from the Epic with the bad parts of the lenses. And, uh, you know, you're starting to use parts of those PL glass, or parts of PL glass which aren't perfect. You, you know, you start getting a lot of smear and chromatic aberration on, on lenses that aren't really or weren't really designed to be used in that. Mm and those edges so we have opted to go and stuck cannon glass on it because we know we're going to get 6k 7k 8k coverage or whatever it is you know yeah so uh because i don't really want to be judging chips and everything where i've got lens smear and chromatic aberration all that sort of rubbish right so mark tell us where you are right now and where you're going because i understand you're heading off to shoot some new stuff as we speak yeah, we've just left a racetrack and we're now driving down to a very dense rainforest because I would like to see, and I know in the past shooting in a rainforest with sunlight coming through is a very, very, very tough thing for any camera. Um, so I really just want to do some massive contrast testing and the rainforest for us it will be that. So I'm going to get right down and dirty in there and um, see if I can... We'll just see how good this chip really is. Mark, just give us your um, how you feel about the uh, camera, given that uh, it was a while now since I first uh, popped up there with a red one to show you uh, your first red. Like, uh, ha- you know, how does it feel, this evolution that we've seen? Um, look, I'll be honest, Mike, it's, it's the camera I've always wanted now. If a red bolt could last three hours, I'd be even happier. <laughs> um, but... It's, it's the camera for me in the sense to where it's given me the image quality I've actually wanted since day dot. And I think, you know, for Jim as well, he's probably been wanting to make this camera for many, many years. And now finally I think, you know, with him and I, I mean, especially myself, this is where I want it to be. I mean, do I need any more information? I don't really know. I don't think so because I was already quite happy with the 5K MX, but... But this has given me a lot more in again. So, um, to be honest, I think uh, Jim has just given me another four years. Yeah, obsolescence yeah. is not obsolete. So, you're putting your order in then? Yeah, definitely not. Like I think the price is, you know, when the price first came out for it, I thought, nine and a half, gee, that's a bit steep. But when you really look at the math of it, you know, he's technically not, you know, you're not having to buy another camera. 29,000 bucks. You're technically upgrading your own one. So he's justifying that look, I'll give you the image quality but it's going to cost you nine and a half, ten grand, whatever it is. Um, Yeah, look, I think nine and a half grand is completely justifiable. I was a little bit fuss about it, you know, but the more I test it, the more I feel quantified that that nine and a half grand, I don't feel ripped off, I feel like it's the real deal. And put it this way, you know, as soon as these things start coming out, you're mad not to have it because if you're a rental company, everyone's going to demand it. Yeah. And um, and if you're a private user, um, and you know that you're going to see these images out there with two extra shots that people are shooting at night time and all that sort of stuff, you're just going to want it. So at the end of the day, he's got to buy the balls. But at the same time, <laughs> it's, the price is completely justifiable in my eyes. Hey, because um, we can't see imagery from it, obviously on on uh, this recording right now. I just wondered if you could compare it to the monochrome MX that you had, because that's obviously a camera that had a much better um, ISO base, given that it wasn't having to be uh, filtered through the, uh, you know, sort of color 
transforms that have to happen for um, debayering. So comparing this in terms of tonality to the monochrome MX, any thoughts? Yeah, it's a big one. Um, big question. I'm a bit scared to answer it, but straight up it's got the soft, smooth feel of the monochrome. It's, um, I'm not sure about the nighttime performance, if it's going to match the monochrome, because now you're going to have a bunch of colours involved. Uh, from, a no from, from a noise point of view, I don't know yet. I'll find that one out tonight, because we're going to give it a pretty heavy night test. In, in low light, we're not going to go to some bright city. We're going to go into a dark alleyway, you know what I mean? Yep. Yep. Um, and then, so I'll, I'll really know, because the one thing about the monochrome at night, it was unbelievable. It was like night vision. It, was, it saved my bacon a couple of times. So um, if it could match monochrome at night for, for smoothness and, and the amount of noise that monochrome did give us, I'd be a very happy chappy. Well, now, you... from a smoothness point of view in daylight, so far it's equal to monochrome at daylight during the day. That sounds impressive. One quick thing, Mark, I know you mentioned you're a, you're a red volt man. You're seeing any slight less power consumption? You're getting a couple more seconds out of your little piddly little red volts? Yeah, I, look, I, I feel like I am, to be honest. I, we've just left it on for the last hour and a half or more, and uh, we've, be, you know, we've barely knocked three red volts off. So, um, look, I'll, I'm going to say yes, it feels a little bit better. Yeah. yeah well, I'm going to say yes. Well, we'll look forward I, to, I haven't uh, measured it, so I've not known. <laughs> yeah. Well, we look forward to uh, uh, further feedback on all of that and night time and uh, news from the rainforest. Yeah, well, the rainforest is going to be really interesting. I'm, I'm really, I get stuck in the in dark places like that all the time, so I'm really interested to see how it performs in there. But, um, yeah, look, no, for this, I suppose, it's, um, it's, it's the real deal so far. Mark, it's great to hear that you've got the camera actually out in the field, out in conditions that clearly are beyond that of a test lab. And so I think I, uh, I speak for everyone when I say we're just so glad to hear that uh, it's performing. And thanks so much for taking time to talk to us. We really appreciate it. No worries, brother. Thanks, mate. Fun. Well, I feel so much better now having heard that. <laughs> Having seen deadlines slip away, but then to see to start to hear that you know this is a real world people it's working it's functioning it's stable it's the imagery is there uh, the dynamic range is there you know there's very little um, issues and doesn't not sounding like a beta camera at all to me that's yeah that's the thing that I was really pleased with it just doesn't sound like it's um, a beta camera no and look Mark does Kane stuff I mean he's uh, he's he doesn't tolerate fussy stupid people yep. gear or no. or situations he's um he'll call a spade a spade and then hitch over the head with it so yeah um <laughs> yeah trust me he was not pulling any punches yeah if it's not working just no nah, no nah, leave it in the nah, leave it in the leave it in the case haven't used it in ages it was okay but nah so i love you know it was awesome to hear and obviously there's more to come there'll be imagery no doubt uh posted shortly i imagine by uh um, on Red User, I guess. Um, so yeah, I'm sure by the time this is post, this is uh, you're hearing this, or shortly after, there should be imagery to match this. Yeah, and uh, so I guess the thing for you is um, the question that I always like to put to you is: You do Dragon, you get an, you get an offer, you buying it? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Hurry up! Clearly, it's beta. It's 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 very. very as Mark Toy himself says, he's ready to put it on, ready on production, as am I. Epic X number 22 is standing by Red HQ. If you are listening, I'm standing by. My credit card is poised. I've signed the forms. The the, the body is by the front door in its case. You ring, well, we bring. they could upgrade my M. <laughs> no, so, yes, ready. I'm, I'm ready to do it. I'm also having a chat with Mark about the the motion mount, is it? The variable ND thing? I'm starting to think, even though it's outrageously expensive, it's starting to think that might be a good thing. I think like four grand or something for that mount, the ND, mm -hmm. the variable the ND. The shuttered NEB. Variable ND, global shuttery kind of mount. I don't know, the idea of fuss, not having to fuss around with filters, not having to worry about so much about, um, um, you know, IR pollution so much and having to worry about variable NDs and the limits of variable NDs and uh, changing filters when you're changing lenses, just to be able to put 
your lens on the front and have unadulterated, you know, um, sharpness, no added extra stuff, or all the interactions and funkiness that goes with variable ND, which Mark shoots with all the time, and I never shoot without one. But yeah, they have their limits, and they're, they're always never quite. They're always a bit too dark in some situations, and not dark enough in most of the others. So I, yeah, the motion mount, very ND thingy. It's looking like an interesting thing to order as well. I think also the other thing he didn't... I don't think he retouched really touched on, on that interview, but this camera has the uh, uh, has the new fans as well, uh, which he said very much uh, has like a... Um, uh, I think it's like an auto mode or like a, um, a uh, kind of a magic mode whereby it's, yeah, very much quieter, which is obviously the... Um, I think it's obviously the, the main takeout. You want quiet running... And I think probably could be the source of uh, some of the power savings that they were talking about that might just be running a little bit more efficiently as well with the new fans. But yes, short answer is yes. Ordering you, yes. <laughs> well, that's it for another week here at the RC. Uh, sorry for the delay between uh, we're just travelling, uh, but as you can see, we have not been f- uh, forgetting you guys. We've been uh, busy trying to record and get stuff together. Um, as always, we'd really welcome your comments. You can follow us on Twitter, which is a really good place to go. My friend here is... Uh, Wingrove, twitter.com slash Wingrove or wingrove.tv from our website. Okay, and of course, I'm over at FX Guy, but you can follow me as at Mike Seymour. Um, it's been a great pleasure to talking to you guys again, and uh, I kind of missed you guys. So thanks so much for listening in. We really appreciate it. Um, keep the comments coming. And also the tips. We get a lot of tips from people that uh, suggest things we should look at, um, talk about, and barrow into and we really appreciate those because uh, it's that kind of collective uh, consciousness that feeds in so much of the stuff we do so thanks so much guys until next time see ya see ya thanks for listening send your questions or comments to rc at fxguide.com copyright 2011 fx guide llc